Hello and welcome to episode 49 of the SJ Chronicles. Today is Sunday the 10th of September 2017. I hope you've had a great weekend. Um, I had a pretty pretty good weekend. Yesterday, Saturday, um, <clears throat> I spent quite a lot of it working actually. I was supposed to do my um, Chinese Kung Fu training that I try and get to on Saturday afternoons if I can. But unfortunately, my instructor um, has an injury at the moment, so he had to cancel at the last minute. Um, so yeah, so did, you know, most of a fair amount of Saturday spent working. Um, today, Sunday, though, pretty much took the day off, caught up on a fair amount of sleep, and um, you know, got to spend some time with Layla, which is always wonderful. Um, and actually, it uh, kind of gave rise to one of the things I want to talk about on this episode, which is about being open-minded, but I'll come back to that. Um, sort of an episode that's split into two parts, really, because for the first part, I wanted to just talk about independent startups. I've mentioned in a previous episode that in the United Kingdom, we're going through this period at the moment where a lot of veterinary practices are becoming corporate-owned and part of corporate chains, as it were. Um, this is a phenomenon that's existed in, in the United States for a longer period of time. It also exists, you know, obviously in the United Kingdom and other healthcare sectors, um, opticians in particular, pharmacists and so on. Um, but it's a sort of growing phenomenon over here. And I think I said before, I don't want to, you know, paint all corporate providers with the same brush because especially as their number of clinics grow, um, I think you'll find a huge amount of variety across the clinics in terms of the level of work that is done, the core values and the culture. Um, and I'm not going to get into the depths of all of that conversation aside to say that, you know, I, I'm also a big fan of the independent part of the sector and the referral center that we're setting up. You know, it's, um, is intended to remain independent for the duration of my lifetime, at least. Um, and, you know, we will be proud to be that way. Um, so one of the other things that's going on in the sector at the moment, and I've heard this sort of separately from different people, is that there might be a bit of a pushback in terms of um, an increasing number of new independent startup veterinary practices. I'm not sure we know enough about, or I certainly don't know enough about the data behind that, and who are the people starting them up. I think there's likely to be different sorts of people. So, for example, young people who are working in practices that have then been bought by corporates who maybe right early on or maybe after a while decided that that was not actually the life that they wanted and that they're going to bite the bullet and um, set up their own. Uh, maybe other people who've sold their clinic to corporates and after a while decide that they want to get back into setting up an independent practice of their own. Again, I don't think we can generalize. I imagine some people that are looking at doing that may be doing it with an eye on then selling their practice to a corporate provider in a few years' time, assuming that opportunity still exists. Um, others maybe are planning to try and, you know, remain fiercely independent um, and look for some sort of succession plan. I think there's probably quite a different parts of the story, but I have heard independently from different people that there is a bit of an independent pushback. Um, I wouldn't, you know, it's not like it's uh, compared to the progress of corporatization. I think it's relatively small at the moment, but we'll see in time. Um, 
There's also an organization called the Federation of Independent Veterinary Practices, which is, uh, you know, again, a relatively young but slowly growing uh, organization, basically trying to sort of rally and form a community between independent practice providers. So we'll see how it goes. The reason I was thinking about this was because there's somebody that I know in the UK and who's relatively well known in the um, the sort of veterinary business, uh, marketing, branding type of world. And I noted that this individual is doing a CPD course um, on preparing a business plan uh, for independent startups. Um, the whole area of you know business plans is something that... Uh, well, actually, I will say a few words about it, but I'm coming to the end of this segment, so I'll pick it up in the next segment. Okay, so business plans. Business plans are a funny old thing. Um, I think I've mentioned before when I was preparing for the referral center, I spent almost a year working mostly on a business plan. Um, the approach I took to that, because especially because the project is such a big scale for a new business, as it were, was I was really trying to create a document that covered as much of what I could think of was necessary to put in it. Um, it also included some draft financial projections, staffing lists, and a whole bunch of other things. Um, you can imagine as a result, therefore, that document was pretty long. The question that follows from that is who's going to read that document when it's that long, right? Is anybody actually going to read it? Um, and the reality is that what we've done with that document since um, I created it was to use parts of it for other materials that we've prepared. So we've prepared, for example, an executive summary. We've prepared a much longer information memorandum. And, you know, um, that document has formed the basis of that material it's also formed the basis of many, many, many of the questions that I've been asked over the last two or three years. And indeed, when we're looking ahead at operational planning, what are the different things that we need to be thinking about? All of that's kind of going in, um, you know, it's sort of original genesis was in that business plan. So that was the approach I took, but for a very specific project, for a very specific purpose. There are other people who, um, you know, say that a business plan should be a very, very short document. And again, you'll find all kinds of versions of this, should it be one side, three sides, five sides, etc. Um, to me, I think it really depends on who's reading it, you know. So, and and I do think you probably need different kinds of materials for your your uh, readership. Um, somebody like a bank, for example, is probably going to take a fair amount of comfort from seeing that you have a very thorough business plan, even if they don't actually read it in detail. Because what people are often looking for is that you at least seem to know what you're doing and that you've thought through the project and you're as prepared as you can be. But you're not going to send that business plan to a potential investor that you've had an introduction to, for example, because, you know, you've literally got seconds in many cases to, to get their attention. Um, and so that sort of scenario you're talking about, you know, uh, potentially like a one-sided summary of the project, which isn't really a business plan. Um, and then you can find lots of stuff about, you know, what are the different things that you should go into your business plan, uh, the different elements of it and so on. Um, and then of course the other thing that makes me laugh a lot is this sort of implicit understanding on everyone's part that when it comes to the financials, first of all, you're saying this is the amount of money I require. And ultimately that is going to be the best guess you can have at the time you're preparing that document. 
And then the second thing is, of course, is these projections that most people end up preparing. And, you know, I say some investors just don't even bother looking at them because they just don't believe them. But there is this undercurrent that your projections are going to be your best guess. And, you know, in fact, even I had a meeting on Friday where the guy that we were meeting with said the same thing. It's like, well, you know, we all know they're kind of made up and whatever. Um, you know, so you sort of have to be cognizant that, yeah, they're going to be your best guess of what's likely to come. But, um, you know, no one's going to be putting 100% faith in what your financial projections are for five years after, you know, you've you've opened your business. So it's an interesting area. But for sure, I think, you know, if you're going to um, be starting up a practice, then, yeah, you definitely need to be as prepared as you can be. And whether you then share that material with somebody else or whether that is material you're preparing for your own self, um, I think it's still very, very important to spend some time being prepared um, and uh, there was that old saying, isn't there, that that's very cliche about um, failing to prepare, being preparing to fail. I certainly, you know, over the last couple of years, we've had lots of meetings and conversations with various people um, and have had to share my sort of 60 to 70 page doc business plan with a couple of banks, for example, um, you know, knowing that you've put in the time and effort to create that and then you are prepared and you have those answers to those questions at, as best as you could at the time you created the document. It's obviously supposed to be to some degree a kind of living, breathing document that's going to change and evolve as the time goes on and new data becomes available about the sector and new reports are published and things like that. You might want to dip in and update it. You may have new ideas about branding and marketing, etc. But ultimately, you know, having some sort of document that you can work from, I think is a useful thing. Cool. So I'm going to I'm going to sign out from this segment and uh, come back with the final one in a mo. Okay, and so for the final segment of today's episode, wanted to change tack completely and talk about um, having an open mind. One of the things that, um, you know, I, I think it's so important um, is for us to have an open mind. Um, I certainly over the last two or three years have been exposed to all kinds of information that I'd never heard about. And, you know, if you, if you look at the story of most people's lives, you're born into the society in which you live. And for most of for people like me and most of the people I know, that's a sort of developed in inverted commas, Western type of society. Um, you're exposed to this information that I guess your parents provide you when you're very, very young at, at some age, sometimes crazily early, um, young people go off to, you know, to school, uh, nursery and school. And then you have all this kind of state di dictated, um, conditioned, indoctrination of information that you're exposed to and then you might go on to college or university and you're basically just taught this stuff um you may listen to the kind of mainstream media and news and you get exposed to other stuff and you know i certainly for a long time just you just i guess you sort of almost assume that this stuff is true and it's you know uh, it's non-biased it's there's no vested interest or agenda behind you just being provided this information and, you know, anything that disagrees with this kind of mainstream education, information, news, um, or, you know, that sort of 
those are the vested interests. That's the quackery. Those are the crazy people, um, whatever it might be. And, you know, I think there's a lot of people that I probably know that, that live in that way. And that's their kind of um, place in life in terms of, you know, how they see the world. Um, and yet there was all of this other alternative information out there um, that most people will never be exposed to or, or would never have been exposed to. With the Internet, it's becoming easier for people to gain access to alternative information that they, they're not able to access otherwise. Um, but of course, you know, are, are, are we open and receptive to hearing that information and to receiving that information with an open mind? You know, if you look at the stuff that we're taught at school and the stuff that we're taught at university and the stuff that you hear on the news that many people will assume to be true, and you start to drill behind it to say, actually, what is the evidence in inverted commas for this? Where, how has it been validated? Who are the vested interests? And then you look at an alternative view. I think you may find that the alternative view at least stacks up as well in, from an evidence and validation and verification point of view as the mainstream stuff, and, and maybe even better. So this kind of assumption that everything that's sort of considered and assumed as being true is true. Um, you know, I think that's dangerous. And, I, and actually, um, I'm, I'm on the journey myself, to be honest, because I would be lying if I said that, you know, 10 years ago, I was probably just the same as many of the people I know now, you know, around me. But actually, um, it's just been, yeah, really amazing stuff. And a lot of the things that you're exposed to in an alternative way, um, to me, seems to make a lot, you know, sort of feels intuitively correct and like it makes more sense. And there's so much in the world that's unexplained as yet or conventional science that we're supposed to believe in has not managed to explain it all. And when you try and question it, it's like, oh, well, we'll understand it one day, but that doesn't mean that we're wrong. Um, you know, and, and um, there are alternative explanations that feel a lot more intuitively true. And, I, you know, I'm not going to go into detail, but the reason I was thinking about this was because I spent a bit of time today watching um, a program that, uh, you know, trying to sort of educate and inform on other things beyond business and veterinary when I can. Um, and Layla's been amazing in terms of helping spur that along. Um, and yeah, so it got me to, to thinking that, uh, you know, and, and I, I think that all of this stuff has absolute relevance to business and entrepreneurship. And it might be a it might be difficult to understand the link why, and I haven't got time in the rest of the segment to try and go into it, but I really do think it, it all feeds into the stuff I've talked before about the law of attraction, about synchronicity, about positive energy, and all of these things. And obviously all of that is part of the journey of being an entrepreneur as well. So I'll come back to this, I'm sure, in the future, and I hope some of what I've just made uh, said made sense. Okay, cool. So um, take chances, be compassionate, live in a beautiful state, and keep an open heart and an open mind, and I'll catch you tomorrow. Cheers. Bye-bye.